Playing with Fire by its underscore bananas, chapters 19 through 24. Chapter 19. Any other plans? Hermione was about halfway through Up in Flames with Lucius, and she liked the book. Really liked the book. She almost couldn't wrap her head around the fact that Malfoy had been the one to recommend it. Needless to say, Hermione spent the entire day looking forward to 6 p.m. When Bobsy came to let her out of the dungeon, she told Hermione that Lucius was waiting for her in the library this time. She quirked an eyebrow in confusion, but made her way there as she was told. When she walked in, Lucius was waiting for her at the large round table in the center of the room, their nightly tea already prepared for them. She sat down, trying to mask her excitement, but began to read. Everything I do, I do for you too, and yet you continue to fault me for it, Ezekiel yelled at his parents. And you assume our actions aren't just the same for you, his father defended, the scowl on his face deepening. There's a difference between doing things for me and doing things for appearances, Ezekiel retorted, clenching his fists. They are done for you. Some things in life are more complicated than they seem. You do not get to choose what sacrifices are worthy of being meaningful and which aren't, his father said, his face turning red now. Ezekiel considered this, concluding that he was wrong. All his father did was make excuses. Every action, every step taken, every word spoken was purely in his own interest. It had been true his entire life, and it always would be. Lucius stopped her at the end of that chapter, wearing a smirk, although she wasn't sure why. Penny for your thoughts, Miss Granger? Lucius asked her. Honestly? She asked him, unsure if he really wanted to hear it. He nodded in response, so she continued. I think Ezekiel and his father are terrible with their communication. They both are doing the same thing, yet they hate each other for it, as if one has the right to make sacrifices for the sake of the family, but the other isn't allowed to. It's entirely hypocritical. I agree, but consider this. Each has portions of their life unseen by the other, making it difficult for them to see the clear parallels in their actions, he responded. Well, of course, but is it not foolish? They're family. They love each other. And yet, the hardest thing to them is showing any form of empathy or affection, she argued. He smiled softly. It is easier said than done. She nodded, deep in thought, deep in the novel. It was so good because it was so real, so accurate to relationships between two people, both trying to save each other but pushing the other away in the process. Lucius rose from his seat and began to walk away, backwards from their usual situation where she would leave him. I've enjoyed the discussion. I look forward to more tomorrow, he said, turning and strolling towards the door. She sat staring at the book, twiddling her fingers. Oh, and Miss Granger? He called. She paused, waiting for his next words. His head was halfway turned to glance over his shoulder, which she knew he was only doing for her benefit, considering he couldn't see her anyway. I believe the library will remain unoccupied if you don't have any other plans for the night. What? He was gone before she could ask what he meant. I can stay in here a while? I don't have to go back to the dungeon? She practically leapt out of her seat. She wanted to sprint up and down the row of books, running her fingers along their spines, smelling the ink and parchment. She didn't know how much time she had, but she didn't care either. She was sure someone would come and make her go back to her cage, so she would enjoy it while it lasted. She spent the next few hours roaming around the different sections, struggling to pick one book to focus on. She eventually started a book on the history of witches and their impact. It was wonderful. She read until her eyelids grew heavy, and she was blessed with deep, dreamless sleep for the first time in over three months. Chapter 20. Hunt You Down. The Dark Lord was, once again, incredibly angry. What a surprise. 
It had become so common for the Dark Lord to have his outbursts. Draco wasn't even phased or affected by them anymore. All of the Death Eaters were seated at their usual table at noon when the news came. One of the lower-ranking Death Eaters ran in, out of breath, looking horrified that he would be the one to break the news. Amicus Caro was found dead this morning in France. He had been undercover and still managed to get himself killed. Bloody prat. My lord, I have, um... I... The young Death Eater stuttered. He couldn't have been older than fifteen. Nagini lurched at the boy and he cowered in fear. Out with it, the Dark Lord commanded. Amicus Caro was found dead this morning, my lord, he said, literally shaking in his boots. A loud crack echoed in the room as the table they all sat at cracked straight down the middle from the Dark Lord's anger. How? Where? The Dark Lord demanded answers. The horrified boy couldn't even look up at him. Still in France, it was an entrail expelling curse, my lord. There was a letter in his hand, addressed to you, my lord. Where is this letter now? The Dark Lord was pacing, waiting to strike. The boy held a piece of folded parchment in his hand out to the Dark Lord, and he snatched it from his hands. It was tied with a red ribbon enclosed with a red wax seal portraying a cursive eye. Read it, the Dark Lord said, tossing the parchment in front of Draco. Out loud. Draco broke the seal, untied the ribbon, and began to read aloud to the table. To the head snake. While we loathe everything you do, we appreciate the time taken to give us a name. We quite like it, actually. If you're reading this, then you found Amicus Caro. Unfortunately for you, he barely put up a fight, simply squirmed and begged for his life, swearing to denounce you if we let him go. Isn't it odd how quickly people are willing to change their allegiance when their lives depend on it? Next time, send someone with an ounce of courage, will you? Sincerely, the incendiaries. The room was so quiet that the wind whipping around outside, the first signs of a coming storm, could be heard even through the thick stone walls of the Dark Lord's home. A dreadful banging sound filled the air, causing all of them to cover their ears and scrunch up their faces. The boy who was unfortunate enough to bring the news was being levitated by the Dark Lord, who began to slam him into the wall, floor, wall again, on and on until the boy stopped screaming. He dropped the boy's body, which made a disgusting sound, the thudding combined with cracking bones, his blood pooled around the floor. He was dead. Talk about shooting the messenger. Everyone out. If Arcturus not isn't standing in front of me in the next five minutes, then I'll kill every last one of you, he told them. They all practically tripped over each other to get out of the room. It was 1 a.m. when Draco realized Granger hadn't reported to him. That's odd. He had been reading in his study, sipping his fire whiskey. He was tired, but he couldn't sleep. Nothing new. He knew his father would be asleep by now, and it wouldn't make sense for her to be in his study. She definitely wouldn't have gone back to the dungeon sooner than she had to. He set out to check the library first, deciding that option made the most sense. He opened the doors quietly to a very dim, candlelit library. He scanned the room for her, knowing she was there. The library dimmed after 11pm, but a few candles would remain on if someone was in there after that time. He walked slowly around the library, not finding her on the lower level, so he decided to go upstairs. By default, he took the left set of stairs and headed for his mother's alcove. Bingo. There she was, head leaned against the window, legs up on the seat, and her arms wrapped around them. A book lay open in front of her, mostly finished. She clearly fell asleep reading. He took in her appearance for a moment, seeing her peaceful for the first time in his life. The way her curls fell over her face, her fingers curled slightly, her lips almost pouting. 
Suddenly, Draco heard a mumbling. He took a few steps closer to hear her. Have to. Have to report to him. Have to report. Have to. Her eyes shot open and she jumped a bit. He stood there, waiting for her to notice him. She hadn't yet. She rubbed her eyes groggily. Shit, she whispered. What time is... She froze, likely sensing his presence. Granger slowly turned her head towards him and inhaled sharply when she met his eyes. Malfoy, she huffed in relief. Would it kill you not to sneak up on people? She ran her fingers through her hair, and he couldn't help watch her in... Admiration? Fascination? Well, I normally don't wake people up, nor do I find people asleep in my library, he stated. I'm sorry. Lucius told me I could stay here a while. I really didn't mean to fall asleep here, she told him honestly. He waved his hand dismissively. Not like anyone has used it lately anyway. He walked to the adjacent window seat and sat there, looking out the window at the dark yard. Are you... are you really the Minister of Magic now? She asked him. Is that such a shock? He asked her, and she grinned slightly. Ah, you wound me, Granger, he said, feigning distress. She chuckled lightly, and Draco felt a stirring in his stomach. Quickly putting on his poker face, he tried to push it away. Yes, Minister Malfoy at your service, he did a small bow. And what does Minister Malfoy spend his days doing? She turned her body to angle towards him. Whatever the Dark Lord deems necessary, he responded with a sigh. I usually spend half my time with him, the other half at the ministry. Malfoy, she started hesitantly. Why is Voldemort keeping me here? Please tell me. I'd do almost anything. I'm completely in the dark here. He smirked at the thought. Anything? Now that was tempting. He cleared his throat, hoping to clear his thoughts in the process. He wants to use you to draw out the incendiaries. He believes they're the remaining members of the resistance. He didn't know if this was the case, but it's what he was guessing. Her jaw dropped. But Harry's dead. Jenny is dead. I saw them with my own eyes. Do you think there are surviving members out there? Her eyes were in full burn again, full of hope and light this time. Gryffindors can't ever seem to stay down, can they? He smirked devilishly. Granger didn't laugh that time, though. She looked annoyed, but seemed to be holding her tongue. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I believe I've answered enough questions in one night. She sighed loudly, looking away from Draco as he stood. You know... I never said you had to stay in the dungeon all day. Merlin knows my father won't be reading the books in here. He chuckled darkly at his own joke. You should go back and get some sleep now, though. And from now on, report to me right after you finish up with my father. I can't come hunt you down every time, he smirked. Not that he'd be opposed to it. Chapter 21. Forgetting. Hermione sat by the pond, feeling the grass between her toes and the warmth of the sun on her face in contrast to the cool breeze. The sun was setting, painting strokes of orange, pink, yellow, and red across the skyline. Enjoying yourself, love? A voice from behind called to her. Her eyes were still closed. She took in this feeling of contentment, of happiness. She hummed in response. I saw Harry and Ron today, she told him, dipping her toes in the cold water. We had tea. They're both doing well. Harry plans to propose to Jenny this weekend, she said joyfully. Well, it certainly took him long enough, the voice said with a chuckle before taking a seat next to her. A cool, pale hand covered hers, black and silver rings decorating it and shimmering in the low sunlight. She smiled down at their hands, then looked up to meet his eyes. An ocean of silver and blue swimming in harmony. 
Her smile dropped. I'm forgetting something, she said, feeling panicked for some reason. He tilted his head in question. I'm forgetting... Hermione started but trailed off. I have to... have to report to him. Have to... have to... She couldn't finish the thought, but it was so close in her mind she could feel it. Just out of reach. What am I forgetting? Malfoy. She startled awake and gasped before rubbing her eyes groggily. Shit, she whispered. What time is... She froze when she could sense that she wasn't alone. Hermione slowly turned her head to find Malfoy staring at her. She gasped sharply when she met his eyes. Malfoy, she huffed in relief. Would it kill you not to sneak up on people? Bloody creep, holding a prisoner captive in his home and now watching them sleep? Well, I normally don't wake people up, nor do I find people sleeping in my library, he stated. She rolled her eyes. Ha ha, very funny, Malfoy. I'm sorry. Lucius told me I could stay here a while. I really didn't mean to, she said to him honestly. She really hadn't. But was she really sorry? Even Hermione herself wasn't sure of that. It was nice to be anywhere but the dungeons, even if it meant sleeping in a seated position. He waved his hand dismissively. Not like anyone has used it lately anyway. He walked to the adjacent window seat and sat there, looking out over the window in the dark yard. She studied him, his long legs and his black dress pants a silk black button-up snug against his chest. He looked... No. She shook her thoughts away. Dear Godric, she must have been tired to think like that for even a moment. She redirected her thoughts quickly. Are you... Are you really Minister of Magic now? She asked him. Is that such a shock? He turned to her. Ah, you wound me, Granger, he said, feigning distress. He was cute when he smiled. No, he wasn't. Get it together, Hermione. She chuckled lightly, hoping he wasn't illegitimate. When she didn't say anything, he continued. Yes, Minister Malfoy at your service. He did a small bow. He wasn't cute. He was handsome. What the hell is wrong with me? And what does Minister Malfoy spend his days doing? She turned her body to angle towards him without meaning to, as if it were out of her hands. Her words came out much flirtier than she had meant them to. Whatever the Dark Lord deems necessary, he responded with a sigh. I usually spend half my time with him, the other half at the ministry. Merlin, that sounds miserable. Every bit of it. He doesn't seem too enthusiastic about it either. Malfoy, she started hesitantly. Why is Voldemort keeping me here? Please tell me. I'd do almost anything. I'm completely in the dark here. And she meant it, although it obviously excluded certain things. She fought the temptation to clarify what almost anything excluded when he smirked at her. It almost made her blush, but she breathed deeply, trying to prevent it. His thoughts likely hadn't gone the directions hers had. He appeared to be considering this for a moment, before sighing and answering her question. He wants to use you to draw out the incendiaries. He believes they're the remaining members of the Resistance. Remaining members of the Resistance? She had her suspicions. That the incendiaries she read about in the Daily Prophet were related to the Resistance? But who had survived? Her jaw dropped. But... Harry is dead. Jenny is dead. I saw them with my own eyes. Do you think there are surviving members out there? She felt the only sliver of hope she had left, growing larger. Gryffindors can't ever seem to stay down, can they? He smirked devilishly. They're too brave to stay down, unlike cowardly Slytherins. She bit her tongue. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I believe I've answered enough questions in one night, he told her. Fair enough. This was already more than he typically gave her. Hermione sighed loudly, looking away from Malfoy as he stood. 
You know, I never said you had to stay in the dungeon all day. Merlin knows my father won't be reading the books in here, he chuckled darkly. What a tasteless joke. How insensitive could he be? You should go back and get some sleep now, though. And from now on, report to me right after you finish up with my father. I can't come hunt you down every time, he smirked. Hunt me down? What the hell is that supposed to mean? Hermione waited until she heard Malfoy closing the doors to the library before she even moved a muscle. She didn't want any more interaction with him tonight. Even in the dark, isolated halls of Malfoy Manor, she'd rather be alone than with him. And yet, she found herself yearning for his presence as soon as he had gone. The next morning when she woke up, her typical tasteless breakfast was replaced with a stack of pancakes. Hermione was practically foaming at the mouth. Bobsy was standing there staring at Hermione as if waiting for something. Good morning, Bobsy. She greeted her and walked over to retrieve the plate from the elf. Bobsy smiled shyly at her. Hermione looked down at the plate. The pancakes were decorated with a smiley face, and in place of the mouth was the word mudblood written in chocolate chips. Does mudblood like it? Master Malfoy says Bobsy is to feed you better, and Master Malfoy let Bobsy make it herself. Does Mudblood like it? She asked eagerly. She was clearly quite proud of the breakfast she had put together. Yes, there... Hermione paused. This looks delicious, she finished. Thank you, Bobsy. The elf grinned as widely as her mouth would allow her, and left looking pleased with her work. Hermione was, of course, thoroughly insulted by the thought of eating pancakes that said Mudblood in clear reference to her but she couldn't complain. Bobsy likely picked up the phrase from Malfoy himself. She couldn't remember the last time she had chocolate. It had been months since she ate anything but rice, toast, and water, really. She practically swallowed the pancakes whole. Chapter 22, Rising from the Ashes Draco had just entered the Ministry of Magic via flu at 7.23 on Friday, August 14th. He made his way towards the elevator when something caught his eye. A flash of red hair on a face he couldn't get a good look at, but appeared familiar nonetheless. He stopped walking and grew more suspicious when he noticed the redhead walking rather quickly. He turned on the spot and began to follow the man without hesitation. Something's off. The redhead seemed to notice Draco and started to move more quickly, so Draco did the same. Before long, the unidentified man was sprinting down the main hall of the ministry, knocking random ministry workers out of the way in his wake. Draco shot a stunning spell at the man right as he rounded the corner. Missed. Fuck. He sped up. His own heavy breathing was loud in his ears. He chased the redhead at full speed now, following him straight out the ministry doors just in time to see the man stop and face him. Fucking Weaselby. Ron stared at him with the most evil look he had ever seen on the face of a Gryffindor. Such a shame you'll miss it, Malfoy, he said to Draco. Draco tilted his head in question. Miss what? Ron bared his teeth and mouthed, boom, with a chuckle before disapparating. No. No, 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 no. The earth beneath Draco's feet shook aggressively as he leapt out of the way just in time. A sound so loud it seemed to crack through the atmosphere came from behind Draco, and his ears rung painfully. He cowered in an alleyway near the ministry, hands over his ears. Smoke began to fill the air as he rounded the corner to see the ministry in flames. Not much left standing. Holy shit. Draco's blood ran cold, bombs rising all over his skin. Holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. He coughed aggressively, his lungs struggling to find oxygen in the polluted air and burning from the soot he had inhaled. He looked up to see a symbol rising in the air from the smoke and ashes. Much like the dark mark would, a phoenix rising from the ashes, the incendiaries. Draco pulled his wand out and touched his dark mark to summon the Dark Lord. He wouldn't like this, but there wasn't another option. 
The earth shook again, not as much as the bomb caused it to only minutes before, but enough to compete with its force. Suddenly, the Dark Lord was before him, Nagini trailing behind his ruffling robes. He stared at Draco expectantly, and without a word, Draco pointed to the sky. The Dark Lord followed his direction, looking to the symbol that floated in red above the Ministry ruins. And so it begins again. There were no survivors of the attack on the Ministry. If Draco hadn't seen Ron fleeing the scene, he would have been one of them. He eluded the fate by mere chance. His face and hair were still coated in black soot when he finally got back to the manor that night, a severe contrast with his pale skin and white hair. The Dark Lord was insatiably furious. No one had seen this coming, and his worst fear had come true, showing weakness in the eyes of the public. After hours of torturing people, invading their minds, and slithering through every last memory, he had found nothing. Draco was included in this. The Dark Lord trusted no one after today's events. If he didn't have the thick residue on every inch of him, his body would likely be covered in obsidian and scarlet-colored injuries. Drago was sure his body would collapse any minute now. He struggled to even make it up the stairs to his room. He didn't even bother standing in the shower. He couldn't. He watched the grit and ash melt off his body and swim down the drain, swirling and spinning sedately. I should be dead. He didn't even notice when silent tears began to stream down his face, mixing with the water that flowed out of the shower head. Everyone in that building died today. He bit his cheek hard enough that it bled, creating a rough patch on the inside of his mouth. I would have been one of them. Should have been one of them. Drago sat there under the water until it ran cold. It felt like he sat there for hours, letting his skin turn slightly blue before he finally turned the knob to cut off the water and dried off. He collapsed on his bed with towel-dried hair that still dripped onto his pillow. He didn't even bother getting dressed. His entire body ached with exhaustion. His mind was flooded, but his body was burning. He stared at the ceiling until he couldn't hold his eyelids open any longer. I'm going to die at the end of this. I just know it. I'm playing with fire and I'm in too deep. I'm going to die. I almost died today. What, what if I die? Chapter 23. You weren't here. Hermione received Bopsy's special mudblood chocolate chip pancakes every day for the next month. At that point, the mudblood wasn't even what bothered her anymore. She never thought she would see the day, but she was a bit sick of pancakes at that point. But being sick of pancakes was the least of Hermione's concerns. It had been a month since she read about the bombing of the Ministry of Magic and the Daily Prophet. They had attributed it to the incendiaries, blaming the group for every last death that occurred that day. It wasn't lost on her that Malfoy could have died in the attack, and she wasn't sure how she felt about it. She had a hard time believing the incendiaries were responsible, not if they were fighting for good. The only other answer in her mind was that this was a different group of resistance members altogether. The friends she grew up with would never bomb a building with hundreds of witches and wizards inside, would never risk lives like that. Malfoy was working from home in his study, and it was rare that he even left the room. He almost never left the manor these days either. It wasn't hard to believe that he was meant to be killed in the attack. After all, he was the Minister of Magic. He wouldn't tell her how he survived it, but that was no surprise considering he rarely answered any questions she posed. Hermione did the best she could to distract herself by spending her days in the library, fantasizing she lived in another life, another world. After that first night in the library with Lucius, he decided that would be their regular meeting place for the foreseeable future. This was even more convenient for Hermione because it meant she didn't have to leave her literature-filled safe haven until she went to bed. Each evening at 6 p.m., a tray of tea would appear on the cinder-round table for the two of them. They would read, discuss it, and then he would leave. It was odd to be interpreting the deeper meanings of fictional works with Lucius Malfoy, but she quite enjoyed it, and he seemed to as well. 
Each day he spoke a bit more than the last. By the end of August, they had finished four books during their time together. Hermione often found herself reacting out loud to events in the book, while Lucius remained stone-faced as usual, never allowing his facade to crack. One night, while Hermione was reading aloud, she paused at the sound of flu powder being used downstairs. Malfoy must have gone somewhere, which, if you asked her, was an idiotic idea considering he was clearly on the incendiary's hit list. After reading, discussing, and drinking tea that had long gone cold, Lucius departed, leaving Hermione to her thoughts. She read alone for a while in the section in alcove until she found herself yawning too frequently to process what she was reading. She stood, placed the novel back on the shelf, and out of habit made her way to Draco's study. It wasn't until she was at his door that she realized she hadn't heard the sound of him returning. Not like I have anything else to do, I guess. So she sat outside his study, leaning her back against the wall and sliding down until her bottom met the floor. Yawn. Just rest my eyes for just a moment. Hermione's eyes shot open at the sound of footsteps clicking down the hall, headed in her direction. Merlin, what time is it? Had she not heard the flu? Her heart skipped a beat when she heard jumbled voices, realizing it wasn't one set of footsteps, but two, and they were growing closer. She stood quickly, appearing rather stiff and awkward. Who else could be here? Oh, Godric, please not Voldemort. The tea she drank earlier threatened to make a reappearance. Two shadows walked arm in arm slowly, came into view, and her breath caught. Pansy Parkinson. She laughed obnoxiously at something Malfoy said, and both of them stumbled as they made their way down the hall. Suddenly, it went quiet, and they both stopped, staring Hermione down where she stood. "'What are you doing here? It's 2 a.m.,' Malfoy asked her rudely. "'I... well, you weren't here for... for me to report to you,' she responded, suddenly feeling ridiculous. "'What the hell was I thinking?' Staying up just to tell him, yes, your father and I had a grand tea party tonight. Thank you for asking. Bloody idiot. It really couldn't have waited until Malfoy was chuckling, but cut himself off, his face going blank. Right, let's hear it then. She gave him the briefest recount of the evening she possibly could. Then there was a painful silence between the three of them. Pansy's disgusting laughter broke the quiet. You waited up to tell him that? She practically turned red in the face, clutching her stomach in stitches. To tell him you bonded with Daddy Malfoy? Proud of that, are you? I mean, really, Granger. How pathetic, even for you. She spat, her laughter becoming hateful. Hermione's face felt ridiculously hot, and she was sure she would throw up from sheer embarrassment, but she couldn't move her feet. You should get some rest, Malfoy said with an unreadable expression. It looked almost like pity, embarrassment. She couldn't be sure but she practically sprinted down the hall and down to the dungeon. She couldn't help but notice Pansy and Malfoy both went into his room. She almost gagged in disgust. Hermione slammed the dungeon door and ran down the stairs before shoving her face into her pillow. You weren't here, she mocked herself aloud. I mean, sweet Merlin, Hermione, what is wrong with you? I really hope this isn't Stockholm Syndrome or some shit. I'd rather fucking die. I could die just from Pansy Parkinson laughing at me. If I wasn't a prisoner, I would have knocked that disgusting slag out right on the spot. Godric knows she more than deserves it at this point. Her blood was pumping furiously with a combination of embarrassment and rage. She tried to take a bath to calm herself, but she couldn't even sit still. She dressed in her usual all-black clothes and began pacing around the room. Fucking idiot, she muttered over and over. She didn't know if she was referring to herself, Malfoy, or Pansy. She supposed it could apply to any of them. She didn't curse aloud often, but holy hell if it didn't feel liberating. She'd give anything to have her wand and just break something, shatter something, destroy something. 
After an hour went by, Hermione finally stopped pacing and sat on her cot, knees hugged to her chest and stared at the ceiling. Her mind was still racing too much for her to sleep, but she had finally expelled all of her physical energy. Hermione practically stopped breathing when she heard the dungeon door creak open. What the? Merlin, it's probably Pansy coming to murder me at this point. I might thank her for it. Heavy footsteps clicked down the stairs. They were too heavy to belong to Pansy. She waited anxiously for the person to step out of the shadows once she heard them reach the bottom of the stairs. Slowly, a pink-faced, wobbly-legged Draco Malfoy stumbled into view. He wore the same black dress pants as earlier, with a charcoal gray button-up that was open all the way to his chest now. The sight almost made Hermione blush. "'Come to laugh at me some more, then?' she asked him angrily, sliding her legs down to dangle off the side of the cot. "'Can you blame me?' he said in a warm, confident voice. "'It's fun to get to see you so flustered, Granger.' An oddly seductive smile played at his lips. "'No, it's not seductive. He's drunk.' I think your girlfriend had that job covered all on her own, then, she retorted, narrowing her eyes hatefully at him. Girlfriend? he asked hysterically, as if it was the most ridiculous thing he had ever heard. He laughed, a deep throaty laugh that seemed to fill the room. When he finally stopped, he brushed the stray strands of blonde hair out of his face that had fallen there. If I didn't know any better, I'd say you were jealous, Granger, he slurred, and a smirk grew across his pale pink lips. Well, Malfoy, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you're wasted. I can smell you from here, she responded. She couldn't actually smell him, but anyone could see how drunk he was. She counted on that detail for him not to be able to see through her lie. He took four long strides across the room before he reached her cot. He bent down to where she sat, placing hand on either side of her legs, not stopping until his face was mere inches from hers. Then tell me, what have I been drinking? Hermione's stomach clenched, and she couldn't find any air couldn't think, couldn't move. The hairs on her body were prickling in attention to his closeness. His tongue darted out to wet his lips, and he glanced down at hers before asking, or would you need to taste it to know? Hermione could feel warmth building below her stomach. She was embarrassed by it, and suddenly thankful that female arousal couldn't be seen through one's clothes. He briefly glanced at her eyes as if reading her expression, then back down to her lips, hesitating momentarily before taking a step back. Don't report to me anymore, unless I specifically ask you to, or if you think it's something I need to know. I don't like being interrupted like I was tonight, he said in an irritated tone, but Hermione was still inert where she sat. It wasn't until she heard him ascend the stairs and close the dungeon door behind him that she ripped her clothes off and ran to the bath. Hermione scrubbed her body from head to toe, feeling disgusted with herself. She tried to forget that those words ever escaped his lips, ever danced across her face, she tried to forget the way he got so close to her that she could smell him. Teakwood cologne on his skin, peppermint on his lips, and fire whiskey from his breath. No, she didn't need to taste him to know. He had been drinking fire whiskey, but she had wanted to. Maybe even would have let him taste her too. She decided there would be no reading to mentally escape the next day. Instead, she decided she would read as many books on Stockholm Syndrome as she could get her hands on. Chapter 24. Addict. Draco was tired of being stuck in the manor, so when his friends wanted to meet up at the inebriatus, he accepted the invitation gladly. He had been ordered to work from home since the bombing of the ministry, and it was quickly getting very old. He couldn't talk to Granger without thinking about things that he knew he shouldn't, and he definitely wasn't about to spend any more time with his father than he had to. As a result, feeling isolated was an understatement. The Dark Lord believed that the attack was not only a jab at him, but a specific effort to assassinate Draco as his right-hand man. 
if the incendiary saw Draco as invaluable, then the Dark Lord now saw him as indispensable, which meant he needed to be well out of reach. He seemed oddly concerned about Draco's well-being, and he couldn't understand why. Draco just assumed that Weaselby and whoever else was part of the incendiaries simply wanted him dead due to his position and by association. It didn't make sense. The position he was given was easily replaceable. It wasn't as if the Dark Lord had no one else to fill it. If anything happened to him, there was no shortage of Death Eaters. Eager to leave Malfoy Manor for the first time in about a month, Draco arrived at the bar well before his friends did, his ears already buzzing from the alcohol by the time they sat in the booth. Damn, how have you been, mate? Might as well be on house arrest, Blaze laughed as he greeted Draco. Feels a bit pre-war, and we all know how that was, Draco grinned. The minister in public? What a scandal. Don't you know Skeeter will be having a field day if you're seen? Pansy teased him. We all know she's begging for table scraps at this point. I'm surprised she still has a career, Daphne added. They all laughed in agreement. The conversation flowed freely as they knocked back round after round, feeling somewhat normal for the first time in quite a while. What the hell are we supposed to do about the Dark Lord's pure-blood air obsession? Daphne asked, leaning heavily on Pansy. Who fucking cares, Daph? I doubt there will be a need for him to force purebloods to procreate, Pansy snickered. Well, he's a bit old school in his beliefs, isn't he? Marriage, babies repeat, is his philosophy for the preservation of pureblood lines. He's made that painfully clear, Blaze responded, sipping his dragon claw gin. Blaze is right, Drago said, swirling the fire whiskey in his glass. Arranged marriage don't seem too far-fetched, all things considered. Pansy scoffed at that, but Daphne looked genuinely concerned. When Pansy noticed, she turned to her, grabbing her hand. It'll be all right, Daph, really. I'm sure it isn't that deep, she said, shooting an angry glare at Blaze and Draco. Look, I'm just trying to be honest. I've probably been around Lord Noseless more than any of us. He's pretty adamant about it, Draco said. That's fucking ridiculous, Pansy said, quickly going from jovial to irritated. Talking about arranged marriages and shit? I don't know, Pans. Draco's right, Blaze added. I heard him mention to Bellatrix that he'd prefer it sooner rather than later. It's just more baby Death Eaters for his army. Aren't we a bit young for that? Daphne asked softly. She looked sick to her stomach at that point. Stop filling her head with all this shit, Pansy spat angrily. Draco rolled his eyes, losing his patience now. Listen, I know you two are afraid, but the sooner you pair up with someone under false pretenses, the better. Oh, really, Minister Malfoy, and how do you suggest we go about that? Pansy asked him hysterically. Draco shrugged in response. He looked to Blaze, who seemed to be thinking deeply before he interjected. The only people who know about you two are us, Blaze stated, hesitant to continue. Ah, yes, great observation. A true detective you are, Pansy rolled her eyes, clearly deflecting out of fear that Draco and Blaze were correct. It would only make sense if, well, Blaze looked to Draco for help, practically begging for a life preserver for the ocean he was drowning in. Holy shit, Blaze, that's genius, Draco said, eyes blown wide in realization. Daphne and Pansy both stared at them in anticipation. The Dark Lord would never accept your relationship for obvious reasons, but it could easily fly under the radar if you both were in relationships with other Death Eaters, he clarified. Like who? Daphne asked them genuinely. The boys stared at her, waiting for her to catch on. Oh, she finally said in realization. Pansy continued to stare as if she was missing the punchline to an idiotic joke she had no interest in hearing. Pans, that's it. You pretend to date Draco. No one will have a hard time believing it because of your history. I'll pretend to date Blaze and it'll all work out, Daphne said in a rushed, whispered tone to be sure no one around could hear her words. You've got to be fucking kidding me, babe. There's no way in... 
Pansy trailed off when Daphne widened her eyes innocently at her. Please, there's no other option, Daphne begged her. I love you. Please, Pans. Pansy was clearly between a rock and a hard place. Her eyes flickered between the three others at the table. She thought for a long moment before finally sighing. Okay, I love you, Daph. I'll do it for you, she told her. Daphne embraced her girlfriend tightly, clearly feeling relieved by her answer. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm the best, Pansy winked at her, wearing an almost sorrowful smile. So how do we go about convincing the Dark Lord of this whole charade? I think we all know the best way to get that out there, Blaze chuckled. Be seen leaving the bar with us tonight and it'll be all over the news tomorrow. You know Skeeter must have a fly on the walls or two anywhere you go. They all agreed this was the best way. They joked about what tomorrow's headlines could say. Death Eaters in Love or Mrs. Minister Malfoy? They each made bets on it before departing the bar, choosing to walk out the front door where they could easily be seen as opposed to their typical flu powder exit. They were all a bit too drunk to flew home safely anyway. By the time Pansy and Draco got back to the manor, they were both crying from laughter. It reminded him of their days at Hogwarts, where they'd spent their time making fun of Potter and his pals. Oh, how the times had changed. They were walking down the hall to his room when he saw the silhouette of Granger, standing there like a deer in headlights. She looked painfully uncomfortable. It was then that Pansy noticed her. He could hear her giggling quietly enough that Granger surely wouldn't hear it. He quickly put on his serious face. He had enough masks to fill a closet with at this point. "'What are you doing here? It's 2 a.m.,' he said in a stern voice. "'I... well, you weren't here for... for me to report to you,' she responded. He had never seen her look so shy. "'How adorable. Hermione Granger, speechless. I never thought I'd see the day. "'It really couldn't have waited until...' Draco was chuckling but cut himself off, quickly realizing why she had waited, realizing she couldn't have just gone to bed without telling him if she wanted to, not after his instructions. Right, let's hear it then. She gave him the briefest report ever, seeming to rush her words out as quickly as they would go, and then there was a painful silence between the three of them. Pansy's laughter broke the quiet. You waited up to tell him that? She practically turned red in the face, clutching her stomach. To tell him you bonded with Daddy Malfoy? Proud of that, are you? I mean, really, Granger. How pathetic, even for you, she spat, her laughter becoming hateful. Draco cringed. Daddy Malfoy? Merlin, Pansy, can you not? Draco hated to admit it, but he wished Pansy wouldn't have been so harsh to her. Why the hell do I care? He forced a laugh to hide his thoughts. You should get some rest, Draco told her, trying to hide his grimace. She practically sprinted away in clear embarrassment, so Draco ushered Pansy into his room. As soon as the door was shut, Draco lost his poker face. Pansy, don't be like that to her. Pansy just about gave herself whiplash from turning so fast in shock to Draco's words. Excuse me? Jaw hanging open. Just, she's a prisoner, all right? Can't you just ignore her? He asked. She laughed spitefully. You're kidding, right? What, you care about her now? She teased. Fuck no, I just... I don't know. She's a fucking prisoner, all right? She's lived in the dungeon since May under the Dark Lord's orders. I think it's hard enough for her as it is, so just take it easy, he responded. So you don't care, but you definitely feel sympathy for her, Pansy scoffed. Never thought I'd see the day Draco Malfoy could sympathize with anyone. I pity her, he clarified. Right, she said sarcastically with a smirk. So are we reliving our Hogwarts days tonight, or do I get my own boudoir? Hilarious. You can stay in the room across the hall whenever we do these little publicity stunts, he informed her. Perfect. Thank you, minister. Such a gentleman. She pinched his shoulder and sauntered out of the room.
Draco couldn't stop thinking about Granger, and wasn't tired, so he drank more. No such thing as too much, I suppose. He unbuttoned his shirt a bit and took a seat in front of his fireplace, running his fingers through his hair a few times. Before Draco knew it, an hour had passed, and he was thoroughly knackered, making his way towards the dungeons. He took his wand out to unlock the door and clumsily made his way down the stairs, his feet echoing the entire way. There she was, sat with her knees pulled up to her chest, sitting on her cot. Somehow he knew she wouldn't be asleep. Come to laugh at me some more then? Granger asked him angrily, sliding her legs down to dangle off the side. Can you blame me? Draco responded confidently, eyes half-glazed. It's fun to see you get so flustered, Granger. She squirmed slightly. Damn, I love that sight. I think your girlfriend had that job covered all on her own then, she retorted, narrowing her eyes hatefully at him. Let's see if we can get you to a full burn then, love. Girlfriend? He laughed. Smartest witch of our age apparently isn't as smart as she thinks. If I didn't know any better, I'd say you were jealous, Granger, he slurred, and a smirk grew across his lips. Well, Malfoy, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you're wasted. I can smell you from here, she said with a scoff. Sniffed me out, have you? He took four long strides across the room before he reached her cot. He bent down to where she sat, not stopping until his face was mere inches from hers. Then tell me, what have I been drinking? He could see the shock on her face, and he loved it. Loved that he could make her cheeks go bright pink that way. His tongue darted out to wet his lips automatically. He glanced down at hers, admiring the soft, supple look at them before asking, or would you need to taste it to know? Say yes, Merlin, say yes. He tried to read the expression on her face, but when she didn't even breathe in response, he glanced at her lips once more before taking a step back. Merlin, the self-control it took for him to take that step. Don't report to me anymore unless I specifically ask you to, or if you think it's something I need to know. I don't like being interrupted like I was tonight, he said in an irritated tone, but Hermione was still where she sat. He left the room, making his way up the stairs, and turned to lock the door without looking back at her. He was rock hard in his pants, and his body was overly warm from the excess alcohol, his blood rushing from the tension that had filled the room. It was like an addictive chemical, and Merlin knows what an addict Draco could be.